that glitters is not gold. A hard lesson learned for those who've fallen victim to fake gold scams. Con artists promising investors discounted gold consignments have made off with millions of dollars by delivering imitations of gold, such as brass, or simply disappearing with investors' money. And these scams have become a prolific problem in East Africa's gold market. I'm Lindy Mtongana, and this is Africa and the Global Illicit Economy from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. Normally the gold is fake, and if it is not fake, and you buy the real gold, you may not be able to go away with it. It will be taken away or your money taken. Today, I'm in conversation with Julius Kaka, a Ugandan-based researcher with the Global Initiative, as we explore a daring con and what it says about regulation, corruption and criminality in East Africa's gold market. There is one particular court case surrounding fake gold scams that in some ways blew the lid on a spiderweb of transnational criminal activity in East Africa's gold sector. It centers around a South Sudanese businessman by the name of Lawrence Luol Malong Yor, or Young Tycoon, as he likes to be known. His story is perhaps the best way to explain how fake gold scams work. Here's Julius Kaka. In this particular case of uh, Malong, the court found out that he actually invited the two Ethiopians to South Sudan to explore business opportunities. He painted himself as a, a Christian, as a relation to a big army commander in the country of South Sudan, to build confidence. Malong himself held meetings across the East African countries, South Sudan, Uganda, South Africa, and Kenya, with the victims. So he masterminded this, he facilitated the travels, visa requirements, of, you know, for the victims during meetings, paid bills, and all this was to prove that he was a genuine businessman, wealthy enough to persuade the victims. Malong was certainly not shy to present himself as a rich businessman. He was known for showing off his wealth in social media posts. For those guys who don't know me, uh, my name is Laurent Valmolongyor, uh, Laurent Valmolongyor Jr., a.k.a. Young Tycoon, uh, one of the African youngest billionaire. In this particular video, Malong is lying on his back on a hotel bed, playfully swimming in what he claims is one million US dollars in a hundred dollar bills. Uh, the reason why I'm recording this uh, is too much, yeah? Mm -mm. I can bury myself with the dollars. <laughs> huh? I can't do nothing. I can't from here to where. One million dollars is a lot, my brother. It's a lot of money. So, Malong successfully establishes his wealth. Julius, how does he now convince prospective buyers that he is indeed a legitimate gold dealer? Malone's network falsified a series of documents 
required for gold export transactions. Among them, export permits, which by the way was purportedly issued by Commissioner of the Directorate of uh, Geology, Survey and Mines in Entebbe here in Uganda. Freights and cargo company receipts were falsified. Analytical lab reports from the National Chamber of Commerce and Industry were forged. A bill for air freight was forged. The paperwork was convincing. Over six months in 2017, the Ethiopian buyers parted with $2 million to facilitate the deal. But the gold, two tons of it, never arrived. In 2019, Malong was arrested and later sentenced to six years in prison by the Ugandan Anti-Corruption Court for fraud. Malong's case is by no means unique. A review of major cases reported by law enforcement in Kenya and Uganda between the beginning of 2021 and March 2022 shows that defrauded investors lost an estimated $25 million in a total of 18 incidents. The targets of these scams are usually foreign investors from as far afield as Malaysia, India, Dubai, Ukraine, Korea and the UAE, while the criminal networks span East Africa, from DRC and South Sudan to Kenya and Uganda. But why East Africa? Generally, the problem of corruption and poor regulation in East Africa's gold sector is the major reason for this apparent criminal economy. The fraudsters are conscious of the fact that, you know, international investors perceive gold from Biara, Congo and South Sudan to be dear and easily accessible. They're cheap and easily accessible. And this explains why international traders in gold run, you know, they come here. They believe that this place is very corrupt and that it lacks laws and regulations to govern the business. So they know it. And which is true. So far, within the region, government policies have not, you know, recognized or prioritized the problem of gold fraud stars and criminal networks involved. There's been very very weak law enforcement to crack them down partly because you know either the problem is huge and involves powerful people or there are no laws that are put up in, in place to cap this interest this increasing fraud styles. Julius let's talk more about the transnational nature of fake gold scams what are the regional dynamics at play the regional dynamics and links to the continental business of fake gold is is real and investigations that we've done show a very clear pattern of flow and rich congolese conmen who are by the way the most notorious in this congolese conmen involved in fake gold operating neatly in diara congo in kampala and nairobi and they have connections in cameroon in mali zambia South Africa, Chad, and Nigeria. Now, in the region, different cities play different roles in this criminal network. From our findings, Nairobi, with a fairly developed infrastructure in communication, in banking, is safe for the big, I'll call in quotes, the big criminal. Nairobi has most of the infrastructures that the criminals need. So it serves as a control and planning area for syndicates. 
and criminal networks. Now for Kampala, it is what you'd call, as one of the you know interviewers explained, say Kampala is an operation ground. He described it as a field work area, but the real deals are hatched from Nairobi and then executed in Kampala. So the big guys remain in, in, in Nairobi and send their foot soldiers down to do the work. If the challenges, money speaks. Money opens the doors for it oils every movement and transportation until the deal is hatched. As you've said, money oils these deals. Let's talk about corruption. Malong's scam relied on an assortment of fake characters, each playing key roles from an army general to government officials and lawyers. Tell us more about this. One important aspect here is the, you know, the involvement of legal firms. From the research conducted, we found out that legal firms have also indirectly facilitated gold scams. They are featured prominently in gold scams, and in most of the cases registered across the regions, we found that lawyers have been accused of facilitating criminality by actually registering fake companies on behalf of the, the scammers or facilitating bank transactions or both. A lawyer from the anti-corruption court in, in, in Kampala argued that legal professionals may be aiding criminality by lending legitimacy to you know, the fraudulent deals. And the false documentation you mentioned in the Malong case, how crucial is it to these scams and who facilitates this? False documentation is an essential part of many gold scams in convincing potential investors or clients of the legitimacy of their gold supply. In Kampala, for instance, downtown Nasa Road, there are specialists in computer and secretarial work who over the years have produced fake documentations of all kinds to clients who need them. The same is true with Nairobi. So they are able to forge mineral trading license, export permits, freights and cargo company receipts, certificates of analysis, name any official document you think of in gold trade. They are able to, you know, falsify them. And there is always a strong coordination within the criminal network that spans state departments, you know, immigration, police, etc., and including the military. Because if you have these falsified documents and it is detected, your fate will be over. You will need to bribe all these officials. So would you say state agents and even politicians are directly linked to these scams? Government officials are always at the receiving end of this, from immigration to Ministry of Energy to directorates, departments concerned. Bribes are paid either to process legal documents or bypass the law to trade in gold. You know, there is strong collusion of fraudsters with the police or the military for purposes of protection. They pay the police for, you know, or the military to protect them. And the basis of such collusion is not merely having money to pay off the police and military to protect you. It is, in my view, about the acquaintance, acquaintances and, you know, the enduring criminal relations among the criminals and these uh, police or military officers. For instance, in Nairobi, a leader of the a key political party, a former cabinet secretary, and three MPs representing constituencies are being investigated 
for conniving with foreigners to defraud international investors. In Uganda, the Directorate of Criminal Investigations last year launched investigations on the Deputy Chief of Internal Security over allegations of fraud involving gold. So that, that strong coordination of a criminal network that spans the state is a facilitating factor. How are these scams impacting the regional gold sector? So genuine investors in the gold sector have been discouraged from participating in the region. And in all, I think a regional framework and cooperation mechanism is now required to deal with the emerging issues surrounding not just the fake gold business, but also other serious organized crime issues relating to it, such as money laundering, counterfeits, currencies, etc. Well, Malong was eventually arrested and is serving a sentence for fraud, you also mentioned state officials in both Uganda and Kenya have been implicated in ongoing investigations. Doesn't this suggest that at least from a law enforcement perspective, things are moving in the right direction? First of all, I would want to describe the approaches being used right now as sort of a accident and emergency approach where you deal with an issue as and when it, it is presented before you instead of uh, engaging in a, a comprehensive approach to counter and stop the vice. So you arrest, in this case you arrest, and, and that is all. There are no policy debates, no deliberate political will to engage in terms of policy, the entire goal sector, stakeholders involved, and the East African region in as far as curbing this is concerned. So our biggest issues here are weak leadership and governance of the gold sector. And um, if I may explain more about that, you know, most governmental departments and interagencies do not cooperate. The cooperation is very weak to coordinate issues regarding regulations and enforcement. Resources, resource constraints, you know, lack of prioritization in terms of budgetary allocations of resources in the gold sector just make it impossible for, for the respective or concerned department to do their work well. There's lack of political will to effectively counter criminal actors in the gold sector within you know, the, the region. Is there some degree of regional cooperation? Generally, there's a problem of transparency and accountability. Because we have conflict goal from DRC and South Sudan, the implementation of regional certification mechanisms of the International Conference on the Great Lakes region to track conflict gold is not very efficient. Because, for example, in Uganda, smugglers are able to beat government caveats by falsifying mineral documents. So it's, it becomes difficult to trace where the gold is coming from, who is carrying it, where is it going. From a policy perspective, are there gaps that need to be addressed? The process of decision-making in terms of policy and laws have been majorly top to bottom, leaving out the stakeholders that are significant in the supply chain. For example, artisanal miners and small-scale miners, CSOs, who are important in this, to be included in gold trade representations, policy discussions. Mostly, the center of focus is state participation and then the 
the involvement of long, you know, large-scale miners or companies, those are the focus of attention that, you know, most of these states, when debating gold mining governance, the center of attention is state participation and companies, meaning the big men, the powerful people. So artisanal and small-scale miners are not included in these uh, gold trade policy discussions. From weak regulation to corruption and poorly managed informal gold flows, the East African gold market is increasingly vulnerable to predatory criminal networks. Fake gold scams might be around for some time to come. One of the gold dealers with over 10 years of experience, you know, explained to us in our field interviews, said there's a lot of fake gold in the market. If you don't have experience, it is very difficult to separate fake from, from the true and real gold. So it's, it's just better to stay away from it if you don't know, if you don't understand it. Prospective gold buyers, you've been warned. And that is where we leave it for this episode of Africa and the Global Illicit Economy. Thank you so much to my guest today, Julius Kaka, from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. If you'd like to find out more about the topic discussed today, visit our website, globalinitiative.net. There you'll find the East and Southern Africa Observatory's Risk Bulletin with the latest research on fake gold scams and other illuminating research and analysis on organized crime. I'm your host, Lindim Tongana. Thanks for listening.